This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, everybody. I'm Christiane Lemieux. I am, I guess, what's called a serial entrepreneur. I am the founder of a brand called Dwell Studio, which I sold to Wayfair in 2013. And I've started another startup in 2016 called The Inside. Um, I love retail. And what I like the most about it is making my customers' dreams come true, homes look better, and life look better. There's no question. The new rules of entrepreneurship and business require that visionary startups leverage the concept of, quote, frictionless to beat their competitors. Well, that is certainly true, especially in the new business reality that we're all in. Coming up, you'll hear why the future of everything, whether you're in the fashion business or any other industry, will be fast, fluid, and made just for you. So says serial entrepreneur Christian Lemieux. I urge you to listen closely to this extraordinary conversation with someone that knows a little bit about starting companies that thrive in the world of frictionless commerce. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako, sitting in as a guest host. I don't know if I'm with her or she's with me, but we're with each other, and it's Rebecca Fetz. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Mark. Thanks. <laughs> How's everything in your neck of the woods? Oh, the lovely Lower East Side of New York. Actually, I cannot complain. The sun is out. We're having a beautiful day in New York City, uh, bunkered down, shelter in place, uh, abiding by the rules. Abiding by the rules, ain't that the ain't that the sentence of the moment, right? Um, all right, uh, thank you. I'm glad you're doing okay. Uh, and let's welcome to the show, Christian. Christian, and your last name is Lemieux. Lemieux, yeah, yep, nice. Fr- very oh, I, yeah. big French mouthful, yep. Oh, I tell you, that's about as far I'm going to get with a French mouthful right there. So, <laughs> anyway, Christian, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have a chance to talk with you. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I, I'd really like to lead with this question. We don't normally start out this way, but I think it's it's useful. You have a book coming up uh, that's going to be publishing. You're taking pre-orders now. It's called Frictionless. That's mm-hmm. uh, be out with Harper Collins business. Very exciting. Out June 23rd, 2020. Uh, it's not your first book, but it's your first time writing about this particular topic. Uh, and uh, my question, and I'd love for you to unpack very quickly uh, about what it is, and we can dive in a little bit more later on it. Uh, could you just quickly unpack what the book is about? And this it'll lead to my real question, which is about you. Okay. Uh, there's insights in the book that are about business, but you're also, as you mentioned, a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But 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 you're also, you know, uh, you're many things. Whether it be author, entrepreneur, business leader, thought leader, whatever. If you were to break it all down and say you are one single thing, what do you think you are? What is it that you are accomplishing with all of these? different aspects of your life and how does that connect with this book frictionless interesting well if i i I, if i had to choose one thing that i am i'd probably lead with mom um because all of my experience 
yeah, all of my experience gets channeled down into that um, as I try and shape good human beings for the next uh, next generation. But I think beyond that, um, you know, in all of this, I don't know, I think I'm a detective. What I'm really trying to do, what all good entrepreneurs do is I'm trying to problem solve. I'm trying to disrupt. I'm trying to um, push my industry forward. And so that makes me um, very curious. Yeah, it makes me a mom, but it makes me go. It makes me go out and look for the answers. Um, both for my business and my industry and just at large. And so I, I would say that that is what it, it sort of all wraps up into, if that makes any sense. I think that's an r- amazing response to that question. Thank you. How, do, how Can you circle this somehow magically back and connect it to your book Frictionless and what it's what it is accomplishing in, in its in its text? Yeah, so I can absolutely do that. So um, I started my first business out of uh, college, um, and I grew it for about twelve years, and I sold it to Wayfair in in two thousand and thirteen. Um, and I realized that had I written a book about that business journey, it would be absolutely useless today. You could you could use it to you know start your fire; it would be kindling. Um, and then I went on to to uh, to be on the executive team of Wayfair, where um, if you are in retail, um, especially in the home furnishings industry, which is where I am, um, and you you get a D to C experience like that, I mean, it changed my life. I mean, to say that Mir Shah knows what he's doing is an understatement. I think probably next to you know somebody like Jeff Bezos, he's one of the best e-commerce CEOs in the country. And I just sat there like a sponge for three years. And coming out of that, um, when I when I left to start my next business, I realized that most of the fundamentals that I had learned the first time around were not going to be applicable the second time around. And so let's bring mom into this. I thought to myself, okay, if I've experienced that in my fairly short life, what does this mean for my children, right? And so you start to dig into 60% of the jobs that they may or may not have are not even known to us yet. Like, who knew five years ago that social media coordinator would even be something. And now it's a really big something, right? I mean, we went from putting advertisements in magazines to uh, using Instagram to buy and sell most products. And so the world is changing so quickly. What I wanted to understand is what makes you succeed in this world? And then what is this going to mean for the generation that, that comes after us, right? What is, what is it going to mean for my kids? Like, what is it going to mean when they think about college and they think about jobs? And how do I, as a mom, give them a competitive advantage? And so I went in deep. And that is how I, I came to write this book. Really interesting. Because <laughs> I, I hear frictionless and I, I do immediately think of um, retail. But to be quite honest, and I've been, I've had a, quite a few jobs in my lifetime, a frictionless onboarding process um, or, or, or all these other things, a frictionless learning process, all, you know, particularly what people are going through now um, oh, yeah. sounds spectacular and, and who's doing it and, and who's, who's not. Well, so it applies to, it turns out it apl- what I learned during this book, writing the book is it applies to everything, right? I mean, the, di- the difference between a situation where you encounter friction and a situation where you don't encounter friction are the difference between um, 
you know, large scale success and in some cases, large scale failure. And I, you know, I, I, I really wanted to, to, to sort of, sort of break that down so that people can understand it because it, it's, it, it's, again, it's two ways. It's, you know, it's incumbents that, um, haven't, you know, pivoted towards the times. And then there's a whole group of entrepreneurs who see white space um, and can apply these rules of reducing friction and gain market share very quickly. Because at the end of the day, like I fundamentally believe as, as we become digital humans and believe me in the last nine weeks, we have all become digital humans, right? So think about, you know, nine weeks ago, people would say, oh, I'll never buy groceries online. Well, guess what? And, oh, I'll never have to do X, Y, Z online. Well, guess what? Now we're all in it together um, and we're all digital humans. And what we all know, especially those of us who are, you know, who are for parents or for people um, in, the digital, in the digital realm is that we learned very early on that the, co- that, that the companies that think about us um, and conduct their business in the most frictionless way um, and give us back the only, there's only one non-renewable resource, only one, because you can throw money and a whole bunch of other things at a lot of things, but you can't buy time. And so the companies that are frictionless, that make it easy for us, that allow us to do what we need to do and give us back time are the companies that we fall in love with. So think about Amazon, for example, like probably the most frictionless, best executed retail company there is, right? I, I mean, you know, I, I can tell you as a mother who w- used to have to get on the subway to go to Union Square, to go to the Tours of Us, to get some Lego, to come home, to like wrap it. Like, I mean, you get it, you know, two hours later, this was just for right. my, you know, my son's friend's birthday. Now right. I, go into, I go into Amazon and it gets delivered to his house, right? Like that's it, period, end of sentence. Um, so Jeff Bezos gave me back two hours times, you know, a hundred every year of my life. And in that, I got to, you know, discover self-care and wellness and exercise and all these things that actually weren't even on my, uh, available to me prior to and all, all this. And all the things you can buy from Amazon <laughs> to right. help support those things. Right. right. It's, it's like, it's, it's an all in. Well, a couple of things and without giving away the ending of the book, for sure. So friction being frictionless certainly um you know puts you in the winner's circle i imagine like almost everything else in life though um and i can think of i guess some examples frictionlessness if that's a word is on a spectrum Very you much. know yeah so we can we'll probably talk later on about who's doing it really well and and who's mm-hmm. who's not and then uh, it's certainly be interesting to see how folks can approve on that, uh, improve upon it um, for sure. And then I think there's some other variables that we're talking about Amazon. And uh, I'm one of these folks who has kind of mixed emotions about Amazon. Um, and I wouldn't want to necessarily buy everything there. Um, but the point you make about time, I think, is really, really interesting. So do you think Amazon, because they're giving us time back, is going to essentially uh, win retail? In the end, and and you've certainly been involved in some A plus plus direct A plus, consumer products. Yeah, A plus plus. Um, you know, listen, I don't know that Amazon is the winner take all, and I don't necessarily think there 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 is going to be one. I think that we see that you know from Amazon, it's starting to niche down, right? And so there are people that do. You know, there are certain subset of things like, you know, made on demand or personalized things that Amazon just can't do because they're they're beyond scale. So I think about one of the uh, founders, uh, Arnaud Paz from a, a, 
a hair care company called Pros, right? And so Arnaud was at L'Oreal and then he started Pros and basically he's making your shampoo for you. So he knows your hair, he knows how you feel about the environment, he knows if you're okay with silicone, he knows if you like the smell of lavender, he knows that it's frizzy in March and flat in July, whatever. Um, and he can, and, and, and so, you know, his whole theory, which I think is right, is that why would you go into the, to the drugstore, grocery store, wherever you buy your shampoo, the pharmacy, and, and choose one of these things off the shelf when for the same price or for a few dollars more, you can get the, the, the shampoo that's going to make your hair perfect, right? And I think that there's also this personalization aspect that technology allows us to do because we can do the you know first 80% of it algorithmically, and then we can back into that last you know that last sort of icing on the cake that makes that product yours. And so Amazon and people like that can't do niche products like that. So I, I think that there's there's a pretty broad spectrum. I think the thing about Amazon and I and I have to give you know Bezos credit is that he made this possible. Like he taught us how to transact online. And not only that, he added in Prime, he added in the Amazon wallet, and he made all of this frictionless for us. So, you know, if you've got 30 seconds and you really need, I don't know, uh, whatever, uh, paper towel, I mean, you're, you're going to, it's almost like you're, you're going to go to Amazon. You're just going to get it done. I mean, I, you know, listen, you could do a jet or walmart.com or, you know, I don't know, Whole Foods, wherever you want to go. But that behavior, we were almost like, you know, when Steve Jobs did the swipe on the, on the iPad, he changed our DNA. I mean, now Bezos has changed our DNA, right? I mean, we just go online and we order. Um, and even if we didn't before nine weeks ago, we all do it now. Well, you know, you, you just hit on an important point. There's a reason why so much stuff sold out on Amazon, toilet paper and sanitizer and so forth is because, uh, a lot of it is because there's a lot of people using it. Mm-hmm. They see that and they, it's not even a question. They knew what the solution was. And there wasn't this massive part of our economy that had to suddenly go, well, what do we do now? They, they knew what to do now. But, um, and, also, and also to your point, I mean, what was the alternative? That's the other thing. I mean, there was no alternative. I mean, there were some alternatives. Listen, if you're a jet customer and, and they're great or, you know, or, but there was no alternative. But not only yeah. that, it's just so beautifully, it's so frictionlessly and flawlessly executed that it, it, it's not even behavioral. It's like reaction for us. It's like, that's what you do. Um, and true. so, you know, thinking about, pe- and, and it's because it's, it's so easy, because it's so frictionless that, you know, think about people that have changed. I mean, I, I would say that Apple is part of this, you know, this cohort, as is in some ways Facebook. Like these people that have changed the way we behave, period, end of sentence. That's what, you know, the forefathers of this are. And then the people that follow along um, are going to take those ideas and then utilize them. So it becomes table stakes, you know, free returns and two-day shipping and, you know, n- you know, not paying for shipping, all these things that Amazon institutionalized are now the table stakes of e-commerce, right? J- just in the e-commerce landscape. But, you know, think about what Apple did for hardware. I mean, they changed the way Samsung, why everyone thinks about hardware because they up the, all these guys up the bar. Uh, not guys, like all these people. Everybody, like all these people in this, in this, you know, uh, they up the bar. And so we had, we, we, we have to, as entrepreneurs, we have to understand the table stakes they've set and then where we can improve upon that. And I think it's largely, you know, 
I mean, I would never be, I think it's a fool's errand to try and comp really compete head on with Amazon. I think Walmart can probably do it. There's a few people, I think Wayfair can do it in their particular category. But I think beyond that as entrepreneurs, it's really what, what subset, what niche or subset of products that you're passionate about to begin with um, has the potential for actually wide scale uh, disruption. So check this out. For more than 15 years and more than 160,000 customers, the number one SMS marketing software, industry leader Easy Texting, has set the standard for business texting platforms. So it's a cloud-based self-service SaaS platform, and it's a top 20 best product for marketers, and it allows businesses of all sizes to reach and engage their mobile audiences. They've sent 5 billion messages to their customers, yes, but what can really move the needle for you is this. Texting delivers 600% more engagement than email. Now, what could you do with 600% more engagement? Look, 90% of people read new messages within 30 minutes, right? And text messages 134% more likely to be read than emails. So when an online boutique wanted to send their existing customers coupons and information about upcoming sales, they wanted an easy-to-use text marketing platform, and they used easy texting. 89% of customers prefer messaging to communicate with businesses. 77% of consumers have a more positive impression of companies that text. So when a clothing store with a pop-up shop wanted to increase store traffic as well as tell past customers about new arrivals, they used easy texting. In-store traffic increased within just a few hours of their first text. They had positive communications with customers, and they saved time. So you come to fashion as your business for valuable business insights and strategy, right? This one is a game changer. Texting allows you to facilitate scheduling, enable staffing, promote products and services, and notify customers, and the big kahuna provide an excellent customer experience. So, Fashion Is Your Business is going to hook you up. Easy Texting is offering a free trial to listeners of the Fashion Is Your Business podcast. Just text FASHION to 858 585. Again, that's fashion to 858-585. Message and data rates may apply for this recurring message program. We're talking mainly about online right now. Um, and I think where a lot of retailers um, get caught up is certainly trying to be frictionless in physical retail. And there are so many, you know, elements that come in. I, most people I know who work have ever worked in retail, whether they're, you know, a founder of a major company that got sold or do something else are usually gold medal shoppers. I don't know if you fall in that ca category or not, but how, do, do, well, one, does the book uh, um, touch upon how to be frictionless in, in a physical, you know, mm -hmm. um, environment? Um, and, and, and how can we do better? And I think right now without, we don't have to go down the COVID route, but you know, I'm, I'm working with the retailers that are on the lead platform 
to get them reopened and the, Mm -hmm. you know, layers upon layers of getting people to feel healthy and safe and, you know, not touch surfaces and um, all of that adds on another layer of potential friction. Um, So I think it's certainly worth your thoughts for sure. (laughs) We'd love love to hear. I mean, the answer is yes. We talked to to people that are that are in retail spaces. I I would say that first off, I think that the retailers or you know companies that were digitally sophisticated going into COVID have a winning advantage, right? So let me just give you let me let me story tell for you here. Um, I live in downtown New York. Y- you know, my neighborhood is completely shut down still. I mean, now that the weather is nice, people are city biking a lot. I'm sure you guys are seeing that as well, but. Down the street from me, um, there are two very famous coffee chains, right? Multiple retail locations. One has remained closed the entire time. And the other has not closed for one day. And it's because on they have an app. And on their app, they got uh, contactless pickup from day one. And so I could go on my phone, go on the app, order my coffee, and go and pick it up, mask and gloves on. They have mask and gloves on, delicious coffee. Um, and they never had to close their doors. In And this is in New York City in COVID-19. Across the street from them is a beloved coffee chain. Amazing coffee as well, closed the entire time. And so that to me just crystallized um, what my underlying thesis in all of this is that the companies that viewed digital and physical retail as symbiotic are the ones who will walk out of this in a stronger position because, you know, my favorite coffee shop that had the app that had a contactless pickup from day one has continued selling me coffee. I love them even more because they figured it out. Um, And it was, it never occurred to them that they were, that it was two separate things. Um, And I watched them iterate on the app, right? Because day one, you know, you could pick up the coffee. And then after that, you could tip the barista. And then after that, you could, you know, order in advance and get the same coffee at nine o'clock every morning. But, you know, and I'm watching them iterate because this thing is going on longer than anybody anticipated. But they stayed in business and they stayed open, which is extraordinary. And across the street, literally the same thing just shuttered the entire time. Great example. Exactly. You, you, wonderful example. And, and, and I think you've kind of gone to my question, but I still would like to ask in case there's more to say. How much of this do you think was an unwillingness to adapt versus the business model being built in such a way that it was implausible to adapt? I mean, that, listen, that's a very good question. Um, and, you know, I, I think and there was a lesson on designing your business to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. to of be course. able to, to, to be, fr- to be Sorry, go ahead. no, no, I think about, I think about the restaurant business, right? And so I think about um, the single sole proprietor, high end delicious restaurant who is, is really struggling through this. And then I think about, you know, Chipotle, who also has an incredible app. My, my daughter loves Chipotle. So I've learned this by being at Chipotle. They have an incredible app. Um, and it is, it is the same thing, touchless, um, order in advance, pick up so I can go to the Chipotle down the street and get her guacamole and whatever else she wants. Um, but it was extraordinary to me. Um, and they, they had it up and running and going and the same thing, you know, I just, I just, Starbucks took a little bit longer, but they finally got the contactless pickup on their app. And so listen, I, you know, having the money to do this and having the scale and having the multiple locations is obviously working in somebody like Chipotle's favor versus, you know, my favorite chef, 
um, who has Loring Place on 8th Avenue and like the best, you know, vegetables in all of the world is, is suffering mightily from this because he can't really do contactless pickup. I mean, I think he can, you know, run a, if he wants to, a, a seamless business out of there, but that's never going to cover, like it's never, never going to come close to covering the overhead, which is really, when you think about it, Rebecca, the problem here. I mean, this becomes less about service and technology and more about real estate and real estate and the costs and the overhead, the fundamental overhead of real estate. And so Absolutely. I think that, yeah. And I think that there was also this idea that you know, some of the incumbents had that was like, you know, no one's ever going to buy a sofa without sitting on it, or no one's ever going to buy a cantaloupe without, you know, smelling it or whatever, whatever. And the truth is, that's not true. Um, and through COVID, we've seen that to be the case, you know, without a doubt. And not only because we couldn't smell the cantaloupe, but we couldn't even see the cantaloupe. We couldn't touch the cantaloupe. Right. Doesn't mean we, it doesn't mean we don't want it. <laughs> Yeah. And there are a few other twists in here. And I definitely actually want to talk about the overhead because I was, Mark and I were talking offline and I said, my job right now is that I'm reaching out to all the retailers that are on the lead platform and re yeah. restructuring the leases and renegotiating them. Yeah. So there, there's a change out there going on, but there's also this bigger conversation. I think we kind of just flushed out um, a little bit on the frictionless side is you know, direct-to-consumer brands are kind of in the winner's circle once again, and that if you're a legacy retailer, the, the shakeout is going to be the shakeout, and some of it was already, the writing was already on the wall. Yep. I've also been reading a lot um, about direct-to-consumer brands that, um, but just in the way that they're funded and that they're not profitable yet, and that there's this kind of fake sense mm -hmm. of um, mm -hmm. how quickly they'll become profitable. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason they're doing stores is because it's less expensive actually to take a 10 year lease than it is to, you know, buy a bunch of, um, you know, consumers, uh, you know, online now. Exactly. So it kind of changes now, now that we know who's kind of in the winner's circle at this moment in time, yeah. What will the next shakeout be and who will land in that next winner's circle? And God knows the situation is so liquid. We could have this conversation 10 seconds after hanging up. It could change again. But j just curious your thoughts on that. Um, and, and we should certainly talk about the overhead. Well, let's let's just theorize there. Just just yeah. taking taking well, just taking your Warby Parker um, background into consideration. Right. So Warby started online, but their biggest growth has been their physical retail. So as, as all of these um, direct-to-consumer companies um, exit the COVID scenario, right, whether it's, you know, in 2021, which looks like it will be, um, they will also be able to take advantage of much lower retail, um, at least, least costs. Like, I think that, you know what, if you were ever going to go into retail from a digital perspective, I mean, thinking about that now and strategizing around that now would be very much to your advantage. Because I think that it's going to be a completely different scenario. Like I, I think about, you know, Soho in New York and how all of the small mom and pop shops left and it became all of the global luxury brands. Well, I think some of those will be able to, you know, maintain their leases, but the smaller ones, not necessarily. And so if I'm Wayfair and, you know, having been there, I'm thinking to myself now, wait a second, like, why wouldn't I open a really beautiful store in key markets because I probably can negotiate a crazy lease at this point. And everybody in the country 
is not going to be going on vacations internationally, not going to be, you know, buying suitcases direct to consumer. They're going to be staying home. And so how, how can I, you know, get in front of you in a physical way and help you make your first home or your second home the staycation that you're going to be having? for at least two years. <laughs> I love, love what you're saying. It's music to my ears. I will say this again, as someone who's talking to people on the street. And when I say that, I mean the, the real estate folks. Um, yeah. I think there's a couple of uh, levels of thought. I do think that there'll be a market correction and it does make sense. And again, music to my ears because Leap works with direct-to-consumer brands and we certainly want them to open stores and we want to open them you know, really efficiently and effectively um, and have them be viable tenants. Um, and then, you know, there is this other, just like there are two humps on a camel, they, the other hump are folks that are going to say, we're going to get a vaccine, we're going to go back to normal, the market's going to adjust, and uh, what have you. I, I am in the, the the first hump, which I think, and we're already feeling, that tenants and landlords have to work together. Or no, you know, Already, I'm hearing 70% of the small businesses may not open. That means 30% of your favorite X, Y, and Z are going to be the only folks out there. So yep. I'm certainly uh, picking up what you're laying down for sure. Um, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think it'll be really interesting to say, see how it shakes out. I mean, the, the, you know, the, there's an inevitable market correction. Um, I, I, I just, I think that we're, you know, and, and listen, I, even if there is a vaccine um, and hopefully, you know, I'm knocking on every single wood surface in my apartment. Um, you know, hopefully that's sooner rather than later, you know, but they're saying best case scenario, end of this year. Uh, I mean, I think that truthfully, you know, as a, as a, as a generation of people or as, you know, as a, you just don't go through this and walk out the other side um, unscathed. I'm sorry, you just don't. And what it's doing is it's forcing us to stay in our houses and reprioritize our lives. Right. And I, I think there's a silver lining everywhere. I mean, I see the silver lining in this on a near constant basis, but the, the, the thing that isn't a silver lining is unemployment and is what's going to happen to some of these smaller businesses that that weren't ready for this. And that that breaks my heart and that breaks my heart. And so when I say I'm not kidding about frictionless, I'm just, it's the difference between winning and losing, because even think about online. Right. You think about booking your your airline tickets, for example, something we do all the time. I mean, to me, in my mind, there's one airline whose whose uh, uh, interface is excellent and outstrips everybody else to the point where I am such a loyal customer of theirs because their app is so good, right? And I don't want to book a flight on any other because I, it, it's not as good. And so when you, you think about that, just apply that to your business. Like in the world of competition, first of all, you know, you have to follow the Amazon table stakes. So it has to be, you know, it has to be, it's, again, I say this, ship-free, very good price, best quality or best, you know, best in class in terms of design, all of those things. And then on top of that, you've got to make it easy for people to buy. And you have to make the experience frictionless and it doesn't matter what you do. And so I think it was important nine weeks ago. Now I think it's triply important because I also think that thinking about your business, not only from you know, from a retail perspective, but a digital, but them being symbiotic is also, you have to take that to heart because there is no separation anymore. Uh, I agree. And, and but I've, I'm not going to make you say it on air, but <laughs> maybe after I'm so curious because um, I have a, a airline of choice, but their oh, website is so bad that I oh, just, I'll, you know, I, I'm I'll, screaming at the ceiling by the time I'm done. Not that I'm booking no. travel anyplace glamorous right now, but, you, you know, I've looked into it on those days you need to dream a little bit. 
Oh, I, I, I've already started. And I, so mine is Delta Airlines and their, their interface is so, is so good. It's so profoundly good that I, 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 I loathe to, to fly on any other airline. It, I mean, it is seamless from mm. beginning to end. And like, even the way it interfaces with the clear, which is my other favorite, most frictionless situation is the clear, is the clear interface at the airport where you just walk through because I'm not American. So I do a lot of travel home and you know what, just I can get off. I can get out of the car at JFK, go through customs and be in this, the sky club, the Delta sky club in 12 minutes. And that, that to me, I mean, that's the secret to life. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's down to a science. So and uh, this is just who I am as a person and I, I get caught in the Amazon trap, but I do also think we're home. We're thinking about things. You know, I do have these moments. I'm not a person who would order paper towels from Amazon because I can walk to Dwayne Wright and do it even though, you know, five days ago, that was like taking my life in my hands, but we're getting mm-hmm. used to the, the new normal. But I think about, you know, and Amazon is not perfect as much as I certainly um, respect them in the business and am, mm-hmm. am in all of it in the retail business. There are a lot of things that they've gotten right. The guy who has to walk six miles in the uh, warehouse, the packaging, the things like this. And so while they are so frictionless and I get time back in my life, and I'm not a good example because I want to be out on the streets. I like to go into Mm -hmm. new stores. I like Mm -hmm. to find new brands. Um, Mm -hmm. I like to buy the direct-to-consumer cool stuff in their store Mm -hmm. because that's where I work. Mm -hmm. But there, there will be a winner's circle of those folks as well. I think I agree. Um, h- how many people are really going to think about these things. And I think I'm probably in the, 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 the minimal, you know, category. There, there's just so many, I'm sorry to interject Rebecca, but the, such an important point. There's when you talk about the winner circle here, the thing I keep thinking about is there are just so many variables to this. There's almost no way to understand how this game is going to, play out because you get you get businesses changing the way they operate out of necessity and then they come out on the other end so yesterday the guy next door had the bigger gun in his yard and he could blow you away any second you've been all stuck in your house because of a snowstorm for two weeks and in that time i built a whole bunch of new interesting guns and the next time we walk outside i can blow him away it's going to it's not just going to change that competition it's also going to change how we approach things. Oh, I'm not just going to charge out anymore. I'm going to strategize the way I come out now differently, which mm-hmm. means I'm playing in the field differently. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, all the customer, so all these people, all these businesses thinking about, Oh, that maybe they were never going to use a, build a, a, a seamless or, or a contactless interface, but they were mm-hmm. forced to now make mm-hmm. them rethink their business going forward as you were insinuating, uh, suggesting. Uh, the, the company may not have had a, a dynamic app and they say, well, geez, we missed out this time, not letting that happen again. And they start mm-hmm. working on that. It's going to change the way their business is. Uh, we, we've downsized our company, eliminated all these these people, changed the way our operation is on the other side. Because we were paying all these people, we were never able to devote money towards these marketing undertakings. Now we have the money to do that. Once business picks up back up, it's going to change the scope of our business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then you combine in the, the uh, sorry for the monologue here, but you, you combine in the variables of changing consumer behavior. You, know, you talk about for it's going to be a long time before travel gets back the way it is between recreational travel and people mm-hmm. trusting 
uh, the way it may change pricing. We think travel is going to be cheap, but they still got to keep up the the ability to operate safely. And there's just a certain amount of money that's got to come in for every ticket they sell. Um, then then there's all the people that the, the business travel that they used to travel to do all these things. Now they figured out they can accomplish the same thing without traveling. So we're going to mm-hmm. cut those travel budgets out of necessity or operational recognition of how you can do things. Mm-hmm. And that changes that and they operate differently, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on and on ad nauseum. There's just too many variables to figure this out. How do you, so I guess the question is, you know, how does a business even try to plot where their next move is knowing that there's no way to freaking know where it's going to land? Like you said, uh, Rebecca, 10 seconds after this call, it's a different landscape. Well, I, I would say to you, to your point, you know what, having been through September 11th and then having been through the financial crisis, like w- we have a pretty good, at this point, pretty good understanding of what's going to be impacted here, right? And I think you're right. I mean, you're circling in on exactly the right things. Business travel will be totally different. You know, the ability to Zoom with people and, and how we communicate is going to be totally different. The necessity for in, you know, face-to-face meetings is going to be totally different. Like there are, we can we can structurally at this point understand what industries are really going to be affected by this. And so, and we know, and also because we understand that change in behavior, like some of it's going to be permanent. I think that, you know, people aren't going to meet face-to-face and take the time to get on the subway to go to, you know, 54th Street. They're not going to, unless it's absolutely necessary. I, I think that there is a world where it's absolutely necessary or it is it is definitely additive to the whole situation. So I think I think we're going to have some sort of like pre and, co- and post COVID hybrid. Does that make sense? Like some kind of pre and post hybrid. Um, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to, I think that the smart companies and the, actually the smart individuals are going to take learnings from both sides and institutionalize the hybrid. And so I think we'll have half as many meetings and the ones in person will be more important. I think we'll have half as many work trips and the ones that, that, are, that, that actually do happen will be instrumental. I think that, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's we're just going to restructure everything, uh, and it's going to it's going to shake down the same way it did after 9/11, the same way it did after the economic crisis, right? So we we we've been through this before. We've even generationally we've been through this. Like the financial crisis changed so much so much behavior, um, and I think this is going to change so much behavior. And I think we have a pretty good idea now structurally what that's going to look like. And so as entrepreneurs and as business people, we already know where we're going to be able to save on costs and where we can take the hybrid and redistribute that. So to your point, you know what, if you used to have a gigantic travel budget and that's no longer true anymore, you can put that towards marketing. You know what I mean? You can, you, we can start to move. It's a puzzle, right? It's a constant puzzle. We can start to move the pieces around or we can create new pieces, right? And the puzzle looks totally different. But I think that, I think that, you know, the really, really forward thinking companies we're pivoting during this and everybody else now, I mean, it's getting pretty clear what the, what the future opportunities are going to be and where the cost savings are going to be and where the, where the money needs to be spent. And I think that if you are thoughtful um, and, a, you know, and a forward thinking uh, company, you can, you can start to put that in place. And it's interesting. I think people are having two, again, kind of two mindsets on retail that it, um, 
it'll be a little bit the same, but that there'll be also these changes that we just won't ever go back to. And it's yep. funny, when this first happened, people came and said, well, were you here during 9-11? I was. I actually worked at Vera Wang in our PR office, so way back in the day. And um, were you here during the financial crisis? And I was. And there yep. are things that are, are alike about it, um, but I don't know, if, well, it, and it's global and 9-11 was not and these other oh, things. Mm-hmm. That there, there is something about COVID that is different than both of those as well. Um, and probably even the Spanish flu, not that any of us were around for that um, yeah. either, but it, it is, well, um, it's an it's incredible also, change. Yeah, it's, I, I agree with you. I think it's like the extension of time. So 9-11, you know, 9-11 was, was, was one day and then a, a handful of months. The financial crisis was you know, was the was the end of Lehman, and then everything that the, the fallout after that with the with the you know with the mortgage backed securities and the market and things like that, um, and also the government there could throw money at very specific things, right? I mean, here there's a much wider breadth of things that they have to throw money at to make it all come back. Right. I also, as a consumer, didn't feel during the consumer crisis that I might die if I make a decision. <laughs> That's yeah. I'm serious. Very true. Yeah. Very true. It's yeah. a totally different set of decision making than oh, I have enough money, or this won't kill me, or my I can justify this vacation or whatever. I'll make it well, up in the end. No, and I think to your point, that's absolutely right, Mark. And I think that the differentiator here is that uh, it also it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, the virus doesn't care who you are, where you are, what you do. Right. It doesn't matter. It, it, the, no, the, the, it these, care this about is, the calendar either. No, and these <laughs> and the thing is, these rules these, these rules apply to all of us globally. Like we mm-hmm. are truly in this together, truly. Um, you know, I was just looking at, you know, that they they can tell where the virus strain originates from, right? And so in New York City, it all originates from Europe, and it was all business travel. In the same way that the first the first contact in Seattle came directly from Wuhan, China. Like it's just you know, it's it's really interesting um, that they can also mm-hmm. t- trace the genetic origins of the of the disease, so we can see how it traveled and where it traveled from. Yeah, it's so crazy, so crazy. Those damn over those damn overseas conferences and factories. Yeah. What the hell? Tell you. we'd all die to go to now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. We're all for a different place. I know. So, Christian, uh, let's change gears just slightly. Uh, we talked a little bit about your forthcoming book, Frictionless, uh, but but you have another. You, know, you called you referred to yourself and being a mom as your major role. And one of the other things that you've quote given birth to unquote over the last few years, one of your babies is is your company, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, it, it's. I guess fourth year now, or or some somewhere. Oh, no, yeah, a, year, a year and a half out of beta, so a year and a half uh, live live on the marketplace. Yeah, so very so much a baby. There you go. So it is uh, the inside, which mm-hmm. I understand to be direct to consumer home furnishings brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could, uh, first of all, unpack exactly what the inside is mm-hmm. uh, from the. Inside out, if you will, and then the it? second thing. You see what I did there? And then the second thing is. I know I love uh, a good. I love a good furniture. <laughs> yep. Turn of phrase. Uh, I, I'm really, really, really interested to know as you envisioned this company, conceived it originally, and built it towards a certain existence and yep. trajectory. Mm-hmm. How has either the way that you you built that business, put it on its way, and pushed it out of the nest, if you will? set it on the course that makes it ready for today in the Mm -hmm. times we are in, or 
Instead, how have you had to reimagine the business on the fly to make sure that it doesn't, you know, fall to the ground mid-flight? Got it. Um, I can answer that in a couple of ways. So first off, um, I, I started the business because I wanted to take what I had learned on the sort of more traditional um, brick and mortar retail side with Dwell Studio um, and merge that with the incredible learnings I got at, at Wayfair. And so my conclusion was that if I could have the brand and design, so exclusive design that I had at Dwell Studio, but then put it on top of the back end, you know, whether it's the logistics, the drop ship, the no inventory, the, you know, all of the things that I learned at Wayfair, that would be a brand that I would start because I would be, I would be solving the here's my detective right i would be solving the underlying issues that are the are problematic with the whole home furnishings ecosystem and so what i did was i started a direct-to-consumer um custom furniture uh company that allows you to you know take whatever shape you want whether it's a sofa or a bed or whatever and put seamlessly put on whatever fabric you want. And that can be something from what we've designed as the inside all the way up to, you know, we have partnerships with heritage brands like Scalamandre, like really beautiful interior design brands. Um, and we carry no inventory. It's all made domestically. It all ships with under three weeks. Um, most of it drop ships, so UPS, FedEx. So I, 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 sol I solved the problem. Um, as I went as a detective, I went and figured out the supply chain and I solved the problems that I aimed to solve. And so then I, I started the company. Um, so I would say that in this particular scenario, COVID wise, we have a whole bunch of, of um, advantages because we're brand new, because we're largely, you know, largely uh, based on technology um, and because we make on demand and because the current government uh, made manufacturing an essential workforce, um, our, our factories stayed open. And so we, by and large, I think 90% of them in North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, um, only our, our Illinois um, factory was closed for shelter in place. So we've been able to um, keep up and running. We use FedEx, we use UPS. So those also um, an essential workforce that kept going. So in this, we were able to, to keep our business moving, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, you know, not every country made manufacturing an essential workforce, an essential, you know, sector. And so we've been able to sort of take advantage of that. So it's taught me a lot of things. You know, while people like Apple, who make all of their products overseas, are facing inventory shortages now because they haven't been able to um, bring in the product. I mean, we never we never faced that. We did with one or two factories, but um, so so we we had this really interesting forward thinking setup to begin with, which has really really helped us profoundly um, in this particular situation. I I think that you know. Unfortunately for us, we're brand new, so we didn't have the category breadth that say like a, like a Wayfair did. Like Wayfair, you know, if you needed a desk, they could ship you a desk. Like they had all of the category breadth there was. Same with Amazon, largely. I think Walmart as well. I mean, even even all the way up to you know, I think that Restoration Hardware has actually done a a, a great business during this particular um, scenario as people you know, rethink their spaces. Um, and I think largely now we're coming into outdoor season. So as people realize they're going to be around in, in their homes 
um, they want to make their outdoor spaces much more beautiful because all of a sudden that 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 is your space as well. You know, whereas you might have gone to the you know the bar and sat outside at the restaurant or whatever, all of a sudden your your backyard has to function as that. So people are thinking structurally about how to make you know every single inch of their acre or their you know their their house their whatever it is their square footage indoor and out work for them and work for them effectively. So you know I think that I think that. It's it's been interesting. It's been an interesting learning for me. Um, and you know, I, I wish that we had all of the kind of user experience we we wanted in place um, in advance of this. But we're you know we're just trying to catch up as we as we go along, make it more and more frictionless and more and more you know sort of instructive and helpful. I have no follow up to that. That was <laughs> that was so complete. <laughs> It's amazing. I'm opening a store that is now pushed to August and it's not construction, you know, there are all these other things that could have gotten in the way, but what it is, I think, and I'm not on the design construction side is a unique piece of furniture. And the mill workers were out of Pennsylvania and they tried to go and ask if they could be an essential working standard. And not only did the Pennsylvania say no, um, also, I think the workers weren't comfortable. And, you know, and again, it's so interesting with the 50 states. And it's, it's um, you know, it's shooting us in the foot of, you know, honest, where we're going to move an opening of a store, which you should be in a mad rush to do if, as long as you can do it, you know, out, you know, a couple of months. So yeah. um, it's, it's fascinating. Too bad we didn't make this couch through you. Um or whatever this is that seems to be holding us up. Um, so I think it's a ton of things that people really did not not think about. And you can't buy stuff off the shelf from IKEA because they're having the same, um, you know, supply chain problems. Yeah, the supply chain problems are real. I mean, that's that's across the board. So I think that if your entire supply chain, you know, in our in our case, it's domestic, so we're good to go. But I think right. that it, you know, if your supply chain, you know, especially, I mean, think about China, who was horribly affected by this. I mean, horrible. You know, if you're, if, if, if it's an all China supply chain, I mean, I, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, truthfully, right. is it right. six months out? Is it a year out? I mean, who knows? Right. And God so, forbid we get a V or a W or a, you know, yeah. hopefully we've learned enough by that point what to do in a V or a W, but who knows? Yeah. So hopefully we got neither of those. Yes. I, 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 I vote for that too. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> Or, ho- or hopefully there's a vac- or hopefully there's a, there's a vaccine by then. But everybody's right. talking about it. Everybody's talking about that. So I think that that's also Mark to your to your point. Um, you know, part of the thought road roadmap here as we as we try and as business owners and entrepreneurs and you know future startup founders like think about w- what does it mean? I mean, who knows? That's the problem. Because it, we can't say, you know what, the vaccine's going to be ready on January 1st, 2021, and we're all going to be fine. So let's plan towards that. I mean, we just don't know. Exactly. All right. Well, let's take a, uh, a commercial break from uh, COVID and friction and all the, all the cool things. Uh, what a remarkable conversation. And we'll be right back in just a moment with uh, some personal questions. Take a look at the human side of our friend, Christian. Mm-hmm. 
entrepreneurista. A woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. And now it's time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business. All right. So uh, let's get into some personal questions and I'll okay. fire away first. That's if it's all right, Rebecca, I've got one sitting loaded in the, in okay. the cannon here. Uh, so, um, you know, you, you talked about yourself as a mom and, and as a detective, how has the detective part of you helped you become a mom that is also in business? So and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be crafty here and come up with a clever question. I'm trying to say, how have you sat there and said, all right, I got to figure out a way. It isn't just about work-life balance, but it's about making sure that you don't take away from your work. It gives you give every part of it to it that it needs, and it satisfies as much of you that you need it to. So you don't go at the end of the day and go, ah, oh, I feel so lacking of what I was able to give the business. And at the end of the day, you can look your kids in the eye and, and, and how many two. children do you two. have, if I'm asked? So you can look both of your kids in the eye and, and yourself in, in the mirror and say, I did a good job mm-hmm. as a mom. So how did you kind of go about trying to figure out the mystery of that and unravel well, that? Well, let me caveat by saying, I don't think I have anything figured out. Um, but, and I think that that's something that we're all trying to figure out as, as parents. Like, I I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I fumble my way through everything, but I think, I think that it's, you know, the, the discipline about being an entrepreneur, which I think is really interesting is the having to constantly problem solve. So I think that at some point I brought that having to, you know, constantly problem solve into my parent, the, my parenting aspect. So when I, you know, I mean, I I will say that part of the reason that I wrote this book really was to understand what the future of everything was going to look like. And so that to me is how do I combine, you know, something that I love to do writing um, with my, you know, my endless curiosity about business and how it's going to reshape itself. And then how do I apply that to my children? So my my whole personal motto is if you're going to juice a lemon, like how many drinks can you make from it? Right. So if I'm going to juice this lemon of frictionless, Mm -hmm. how many ways can I apply that to my life? And I try and do that with everything. The other thing is like, I fundamentally, I love people. Like I love people because I think everybody has what I call a pearl. And you know what, when you meet somebody, 
like go, you know, deep sea diving and find out what their pearl is because you always walk away with something from people. And I collect those pearls and I've, I've always done that. And like, you know, that I think it's just like stringing the pearls together until, you know, until you, you find what you need. Great, great question. I, I cannot top it. And this yeah. is a little bit of a selfish question. Um, and about the pearls and people, I kind of think that everybody probably has a book in them. Um, but if you love yeah. writing, if you don't love writing, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your process, because I do think there's some discipline involved, even if you do love it, um, and how you've you've been able to put out multiple books. Um well, you know, I, I think, I think again, it's the detective in me. So what I do is I, I always, the subjects I choose are the things that I'm interested in. You know, ha- having me write a calculus textbook might not be the best use of my publisher's advance, you know, because it's just not something that I'm passionate about. But if I'm passionate about something and I want to understand it fundamentally, um, then I can, then I, then it's, it's research, right? I think at the end of the day, like if I was to strip everything away beyond the, the mom and the and the detective. There's definitely an academic in there, and so I pro, I approach this like an academic. And I think that it's also being a detective, right? It's being an academic detective because what you're really trying to find out is the story. Um, but you just have to be passionate about the subject because otherwise, I, I think that I mean that would be like poking your eyes out on a near constant basis. It would be so hard to do, um, just because it's you know, it, it takes so much time and so much thought and it's a problem that needs to be solved. Amazing. Very telling, by the way, because I think people who are writing a book that seems like a term paper to them are, are you know, they're having trouble lighting that match. Maybe it's not, um, they're not quite as passionate about the topic as they should be. Um, fantastic. Well, I think that also, I think it was Mark Twain that said that um, the more time you have to write this, in his case, letter, um, the fewer words it would have. So to me, I mean, that is that is the secret to writing and somehow the frictionless secret to life. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to the book. All right. Uh, thank you so much for that, Christiane. Uh, how can people connect with you, follow you directly, uh, certainly connect with your business? Any information you'd like to give? Instagram is a great platform for me. So DM me, Christiane Lemieux, at Christiane Lemieux. I'm on Twitter at C Lemieux, at C-L-E-M-I-E-U-X. So at C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-E-L-E-M-I-E-U-X. And then finally, like for everybody, I'm on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Christian Lemieux and that will show you the book, the companies, the everything. And you can reach out to each and every one of the websites, however you feel like talking to me, whatever you feel like talking to. I mean, you know, LinkedIn is the, is the, is the resume brought to life. Fantastic. All right. Well, Christiane Lemieux, she's the founder of The Inside. She is the author of, I'm just going to go say that all day, the author of Frictionless from HarperCollins Business, pre-sales now, coming out June uh, 23rd, 2020. Good luck with the book. I hope it's a smash as it should be. Well, frankly. thank you guys. This is the most fun I've had on uh, any kind of platform in a very long time. Tell all your friends. Yeah, I will. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. It was a lot of fun. And uh, there was a, a lot of really great, great content and insights here. Really. I, I think I learned more on this in this, in this conversation than I have on a lot that we've had. So oh, thanks. thanks a lot. Okay. Uh, continued good luck. It was such a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Rebecca, as always. Thanks, Mark. 
<laughs> and uh, that's it for this episode, everybody. We're so happy you were along for the ride. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got a lot out of it. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, have a great day. I'm Mark Rekha. This has been Fashion Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.